Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. No, not one. The righteousness is, is our spiritual resume. Righteousness is our spiritual record. If you, if you want a job, you, you get your, your resume together and you take that resume, you pass it out, and on your resume you include all of your career and vocational and educational records. Here's all the things I've done that qualify me for this job. And here's what Paul is saying. There is none righteous, no, not one. So herein lies the problem. The problem is we all have a sinful resume. There's none that doeth good, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This is what the Bible teaches us. This is what the Bible shows us. The Bible shows us that we are sinful men and women at best. Even the guy you're listening to right now. How many of us would dare to assume that we went 10 for 10 on the Ten Commandments this week? Anybody prepared to say that they have not lied? Anybody prepared to say that they have not in some way coveted or been controlled by greed? I mean, certainly we didn't do the big things like murder someone. If you did, please kindly scoot to the end of the row away from your neighbor. But we can't even make it through the top ten. The Bible is showing us these things over and over and over again. It's not just that the Bible shows us this. Our conscience tells us this. Paul has made this argument from the very first chapter. And that is that we are all under sin. That we've all gone our own way. That we do not enjoy having anyone else tell us how to live our lives, but that we assume that we know best on how our lives should go. And because we don't want anybody else telling us how to live, man, we've brought to ourselves all kinds of creeping things, and we've worshipped and made anything other than the living God as revealed to us in the Bible. And in the end, where has it gotten us? You see, this is ultimately the question. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. Now what will we do with our sinful resume? What will we do with our sin? How will we be made right from our sin? How will we be made right from the wrongs that we've done? You see, this is what I know about you. Every person in this room knows that you are a sinner. You know that you've done things that are against God's word. They violated the the clear teaching of the scripture. But you've also done things that have violated your own conscience. You've done things that you didn't even really want to do, but you did them anyway, and then you regretted the fact that you did it once you had done it. We even say things like this. We say things like, well, come on, pastor, nobody's perfect. What do we mean when we say that? What we mean is that we have not done everything that we have, that we should. And what we also mean is we have not, uh, we, we've not done everything we shouldn't. And we have done things that we should have done, but, but avoided to do. 
It is two kinds of sin. There are sins of commission. That's things that we actually do. Anger we actually have. We actually got mad. We actually said something. Sins of commission. But there's also sins of omission. And we haven't done all that we should have done. We didn't handle everything the way that we should have handled it. And instead of going to the Lord and confessing that and making it right, we leverage that. We Okay, fine, I do things I shouldn't do. And yes, I have done that lie thing and that greed thing. But listen, Pastor, if, if you only knew what she did, if you only knew what they did, because I know people who do a lot more worse, evil, bad, awful things than I do. And this is what we are tempted. We're tempted to say that our sin is not that bad because we know people who sin worse than we do. And in Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul has systematically kind of unpackaged that entire argument. He said in chapter number two, for, for there is no respect of persons with God. He said, what does it matter if your sin isn't as bad as someone else's, you've still sinned. Well, what does it matter if your sin is cleaner than someone else's, it's still sin in the end. And that causes you and I to be unrighteous. It puts us under sin, the Apostle Paul says. This is what he says in verse number 23 of Romans chapter number 3. Look at it with me. For all have, what's the word? Sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've used this illustration before, but it's the idea of you and I walking down to the beach, standing at Long Beach, looking way out into the ocean and saying, you know what, I have an idea. Let's swim to Hawaii. 2,400 miles lets you and me try to swim to Hawaii. So, man, we take off and we start swimming. We get past the, the waves. We get past the breakwater. And we're out into the ocean, open ocean. And let's say that I swim out a mile and then I can't go any farther. My strength is exhausted. I give up. I begin to float, drown, and am eaten by sharks. Because that's what happens when you get in the ocean. But you keep swimming and you, man, you're like, wow, I can really swim farther than Dave. And let's say that you go three miles. I only made it one, but you went three and you got all the way out, three miles out. And oh, then you got tired. You got exhausted. Your strength gave out. You went under the water. You began to drown. And then you were eaten by sharks. But hey, you went two miles farther than I did. But you still did not go 2,400 miles, right? You still didn't make it to Hawaii. And this is what happens with our sin. Our sin separates us from God. Our sin removes us from God. And so while your sin may not be as bad as mine, or while your sin may be different than mine, and while I may have more sin than you, it doesn't matter because we're still sinful and we are under sin and the wrath of God works against, Romans 1, it says, the wrath of God works against sinful men. So what will we do with our sin? This is, what, this is what all of the world is trying to figure out. What will we do with our sin? How is it that we can be made right from the wrongs that we have done? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because that's verse number 24. Look with me at verse number 24. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, verse 23. Verse 24. 
being justified freely by his grace through redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God, so, so Jesus Christ is the one that God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Notice, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Look at verse 26. And to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he, God, that God might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. That is wonderful news. Because this is what we must do with our sin. We must take it to the only one who can forgive it, who can redeem it, who can deal with it. And that's not you, that's not me, that's not the church, that's not a father, a pope, or a priest, that's not a pastor, or a spiritual leader. The only one who can deal with our sin and justify it, make it right, make our wrongs right, is God himself. Self. So Paul is clear, being religiously sincere is not enough to deal with your sin. Being faithful is not enough to deal with your sin, although you should be sincere and you should be faithful. Even having faith in general, even believing in God in general is not enough because even the devils believe and tremble. It's not just having faith in general or being faithful or being religiously sincere. It's only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that we can find forgiveness of sins. You remember the lesson we had the, the FedEx package? And we said faith is, and we took the paper and we put it in the book and then we sent the FedEx package. Where did we send it to? Like Bangkok or someplace like that, right? We sent it far, far away. And we, sent, and we said what, what's true of the book is true of the paper. Why? Because the paper was in the book. And in the same way, this is what happens for you and for me. We put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, what's true of Christ is true of you and me. Faith is simply the acceptance of God's facts. What are the facts from God in the Bible? Here they are. We are sinners. I am a sinner. And before you get up and leave, you are a sinner. And God demands righteousness. God demands a righteous resume of which I don't have and neither do you. But God sent Jesus into this world to provide a righteousness for me that I could not earn on my own. And God sent Jesus in this world to provide a righteousness for you that you cannot earn on your own either. And when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, what was and is true of Jesus becomes true of you. God provides a righteousness when we place our righteousness in the Lord Jesus Christ. God declares, that's the word, God declares us righteous and forgives us our sins and justifies us. And hear me, God is just, God is right in doing that. So there's two points. You have an outline and I want you to follow along with us and write some things down because I want you to remember. 
Everything that God demanded from me, everything that God demands from you, that righteous resume, everything that God demands from you and from me, he provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that God demands, he supplies. Where? In the Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus do? When Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, we celebrate that at Christmas time. His incarnation, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life for 33 and a half years. He lived among the, 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 the Jewish people there in the uh, Israel area. He performed miracles. He performed signs. All of these were demonstrations of his divinity. All of them were demonstrations of his Godship. Jesus was completely God. Jesus was completely man. He was 100% God, 100% man. He lived among man. And then at the end of of his life he gave himself on the cross and he died he yielded over his spirit the bible says he gave up the ghost and he laid his life down he became sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of god by christ jesus through christ jesus in christ jesus and this is the greatest news of them all Three days after his death, he walked out of the grave, literally, physically, bodily resurrected from the tomb. That's what we celebrated at Easter last week. But this is the good news. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. And Jesus walked out of the tomb. He performed miracles. He showed himself alive to his disciples, followers, and over 500 people. And then after 40 days, he ascended into heaven. And there Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. And you know what he does? He ever makes intercession for us. That means this, that God and Jesus right now are having a conversation about you. You ever wonder what God's talking about? God's talking about God's talking to Jesus about you right now. He ever makes intercession on our behalf. Listen, God did all of this out of love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did all of it. This is, this is what we mean. Is, is it hot in here? It's hot in here to me. I mean, I know it's only 60 degrees outside, but it's hot in here. This is what we mean when we say that God saved us. This is what we mean when we say, have you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? You hear somebody say things like, oh, how great salvation is. What do, what do they mean? What are they saying? That is what they're saying. That's the truth that they are declaring. Gentlemen, this is a football. This is salvation. There's two points. First, notice the completeness of salvation. Notice, number one, the completeness of salvation. It's seen in, in, in three ways. It's seen in three ways. Look at verse number 24. It is a really big word. We're going to take three big leaps, okay? Think of them like legs on the stool. Think, think of them this way. Look at verse number 24. See the word? Justified. 
Look at the end of verse 24. Look at this word. Redemption. Look at verse number 25. Propitiation. You see those three words? Justified. Redemption. Propitiation. Okay, so this is, this is the three-legged stool that salvation sits on. These three ideas. Justified. Redemption. Propitiation. And all of them teaching us something different about what God provided for us by way of salvation. Okay, so when we say salvation, what are we saying? We're saying three things. We're saying justified. We're saying redeemed. We're saying God made propitiation. God became pro-us by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, three things. No, 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 Salvation, or letter A. Salvation can be understood legally as justification. Salvation can be understood legally as justification. A justified is a very important word in the Bible. It's a very key word to understand in the scripture. It's a legal term. It's a term that is used in a court of law. And it means, quite literally, to declare not guilty. To declare not guilty. You should write that over this side. Justified means to declare not guilty. Justified does not mean innocent. It doesn't mean innocent. It means not guilty. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. Because we've all sinned. Because all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And yet the Lord laid on him. On who? The Lord laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of, all, of us all. So that God could declare justified. God could declare not Guilty. It is a legal term. It literally, it, it's our idea of, of acquittal, right? If the gloves don't fit, you must acquit, right? It literally means not, not guilty. We, we, we look at the evidence, we, we weigh it out, and was things done? Is sin wrong? Is there the righteous resume? Not guilty. On, on what terms? On the term, on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a legal act of standing before a holy and righteous God. See God as the judge of the universe and God looking at you, understanding all you've ever done. God a discerner of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. God knows what you have done and listen, this is scary. God knows why you did it. God not only sees the deed, God understands the motive and God judges as a holy, righteous judge in that way. And he declares salvation is a legal declaration of not guilty. How? How, how are we declared not guilty? How are we declared justified? Here's why. By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is more than forgiveness. Justification is more than forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is always in a negative sense, right? Forgiveness is in a negative sense. Forgiveness, forgiveness means, okay, yeah, you, uh, you did wrong, I forgive you, don't ever go and do wrong again. Justification is more than forgiveness. Justification means that you are now released from the liability 
of the wrong that you have done. You, you, you are now released from the punishment of the wrong that you are done. Forgiveness by itself is basically a, a, a negative concept. Justification is a, a positive concept. It's not just that God releases you from liability, but that God bestows on you a righteousness that is not your own. That God gives to you. It would be standing guilty in front of the judge, knowing all the wrong that you have done, and the judge slamming the gavel and saying, not guilty. Go get the Congressional Medal of Honor and place it on his chest. Wait, what? I went from being accused of wrong and sin and done to being awarded a congressional medal of honor that allows me the privilege and the prestige and, and opens opportunities for me and introduces me to a circle that I would have otherwise completely been removed from because I've been bestowed something. This is what justification is. Justification is not just forgiveness of sins. It's, it's part of it, but it's a legal declaration of not guilty. Go get the Congressional Medal of Honor and award it to this one. He is legally declared. That's why you see the phrase over and over, to declare. Do you see that? To declare, to declare. You, you see it again. We'll see this next week. Look at verse number three of chapter four. For what the scripture, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God and it was, what's the word? Counted. Do you see that word? It was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God. It didn't make him righteous. It counted to him as righteousness. So God saw Abraham. Abraham was in no way perfect. Abraham was a sinner just like you and I are because there's none righteous, no, not one. And yet God saw Abraham. Abraham believed God and God declared Abraham righteous. He counted it as righteousness. In the same way, this is what justification does for us. Salvation can be understood legally as justification. It means that there is absolutely no longer any case against you. The case that was against you, the evidence stacked against you has completely been wiped out. Look, this is why Paul says there is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why, why, why can he say that? How can he be so bold and brazen as to say that there's no, no condemnation? No condemnation. There's nothing held against them from this point forward. Why? Because of salvation, in salvation, through salvation, God declares us legally justified. It's more now. Now the, the record is, the record is clean. Notice how does justification come? It doesn't come through ritual. It doesn't come through religion. It doesn't come through baptism. It, doesn't, it comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world says, hey, you want to take those wrongs and make them right with God? Here are 37 things you must do in order to get there. Hey, if you want to take those wrongs and make them right with God, 
then you better deal with all these wrongs. You better have enough good on your record to outdo the bad on your record before you stand in front of a God. Otherwise, you will be, be declared guilty. Christianity separates from that. And Christianity says, no, no, no. Bring your guilt and bring your shame and bring your wrong. There's none righteous. Even the heroes of the Bible, they themselves were sinful men and women. We'll see that next week. Can't wait for that one. We'll see that next week. Even Abraham and David and Daniel and Joseph and all those people you grew up learning about and going, wow, I wish I could be as spiritual as that guy. Even they did wrong, and yet God declares them righteous, brings them into his family, sets them free from their guilt. Salvation can be understood legally as justification by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Justification does not come through rituals. Justification does not come through principles. Justification does not come to you by a list of do's and don'ts. Okay, so here's all the stuff you got to go do now. Okay, okay, okay. I get it. You believe in Jesus. But if you do bad, guess what? Okay, Jesus, Jesus isn't making a list, checking it twice, trying to find out who's naughty or nice. And, oh, were you a good boy this year? Then maybe, maybe Jesus will give you the gifts you want. No, 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 no. He doesn't do that. It doesn't come through a list of principles. It doesn't come through do's and don'ts. Justification comes through one person. The person is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus is on the cross and he screams out, it is finished. What's he saying? It's done. It's finished. It's complete. My work, the job that I came to do. What was the job Jesus came to do? To forgive his people from their sins, to make their their wrongs right to give them a way back to God. It is finished. It's complete so that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what's true of Jesus is now true of you so that when God sees David Delaney's unrighteous resume and I put my faith in Jesus, he takes Jesus's resume and he gives it to me and he takes my resume and he gives it and puts it on Jesus and God is just in that he punishes sin through the Lord Jesus Christ but he declares sinners righteous because of their faith in Jesus. Salvation can be understood legally as justification. God has declared you not guilty. Now, here, here's what's happening in your mind right now. Here's what you're doing. You're going, yeah, but man, you did some bad stuff. I mean, you did some really awful stuff. I mean, I, I understand what the pastor's saying, but the stuff you did, I, I, don't, I don't think God, I don't think God can forgive that. You see what we do when we argue that way? We minimize the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we argue this way, well, God can't forgive me for this. What we're saying is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, yeah, it was good, but it wasn't good enough to forgive me of my sin. It, it wasn't good enough to give me a way to him. And this is why God uses the men and women that he does in the Bible. How many of you remember that king named David? How many of you remember him? Man, David who wrote the Psalms. David that, that loved king, that first loved king of all of Israel, right? 
Man, David, who had the sling and the stone, remember? He slew the giant. Remember that guy? Man, David, who played the harp and he calmed Paul down. Remember that guy? Man, David, who was this great warrior. He united the kingdoms. He brought all of Israel together. Remember that guy? Man, David, who when you get to Acts, the Bible says about David, David, King David, was a man after God's own heart. Well, that sounds like a pretty good guy, don't you think? I mean, a guy after God's own heart. This is why I can't wait for chapter 4. Because here's, here's what Paul says in chapter 4. Yeah, you remember David, that good king who loved God, who wrote the Bible, who sang songs, who slew giants, who united the kingdom, who accomplished all kinds of amazing things? You remember that guy? Yeah, by the way, he's a murdering adulterer. Yikes. Ooh. I mean, I've, I've lied, I've done greed, but I've never killed anybody, right? And David did. And you remember that whole story? David, David commits adultery with Bathsheba. David brings Bathsheba's husband back from war, one of his faithful men. Bathsheba's husband won't go into Bathsheba. Instead, he sleeps in the town square. David sends then Uriah, that's Bathsheba's husband, sends him back to war with a letter written from David to David's chief who says, take Uriah, put him in the front of the hottest battle and then pulled everybody back. And basically Uriah carried his own death sentence. Uriah took the note to Joab, that's David's chief uh, uh, military strategist. He gives it to Joab. Joab says, let's go Uriah. Put Uriah in the front of his battle, says hottest battle, says run to the front, lead the troops, be a hero. Man, Uriah goes to the front. He starts fighting, he turns around. All of the other Israelites are running back upon the orders of Joab upon the orders of David and Uriah finds himself there killed in the midst of the hottest battle slain in battle and what does David do? David puts on the ashes David puts on the robe of mourning David goes oh oh, Uriah was one of my best friends and oh he served me faithfully and man he's a military hero and I'm just going to be compassionate I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Uriah's family into my own house I'm going to watch over them I'm going to be compassionate to them I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to love and care for them all of that in order to get Bathsheba. Remember that story? And then in comes Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet looks at David and says, David, there's a, there's a story I got to tell you. There's a man who has all kinds of sheep. And then there's a stranger, a sojourner who only has one sheep. And he loved this one sheep so much. He lived with the sheep. He went, carried it everywhere he went. And this man who had so many sheep, he took the one, he took that stranger, that sojourner's sheep, and he took it and he killed it and he sacrificed it for himself. David, what do you think should happen to a guy like that? And David in this fit of rage goes, oh, that kind of guy should be killed. That kind of guy should... Off with his head, right? And you remember those famous words? And Nathan the prophet turns to David and says, oh, no, no, no. No, thou art the man, David. Are, are you telling me when you get to the book of Acts, that guy is a man after God's own heart? That man is a man after God's own heart? You see, so that, that inner lawyer right now, that person inside of your own head going, oh, I don't know that God can forgive me for what I did. No, no, no. The message of the Bible is God knows your sin. God sees your sin. God understands your sin. God not only sees deeds done, he knows why you did the deed that you did. And God still sent Jesus into this world to die for your sin. See, that's, that's the depth and the richness and the greatness of God's love for you. 
A greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. For a righteous man, one might peradventure to die, but no one would die for an unrighteous man. Certainly nobody would give up their life to save people like David. I know God did. And that's how much God loves you. Well, that's just the first leg of the stool, so we better hurry. Salvation can be understood legally as justification. Number two, salvation can be understood commercially as redemption. Okay, okay look, at, look at the verse. Verse 24, see the word justified? Being, we're all sin, but we've, we're all short of the glory of God. But we are justified freely by his grace. Notice this word, through the redemption. See that word? We're justified freely. So we're justified, declared righteous. It's a legal sentence. Not guilty. Declared righteous by the grace of God found in Jesus. But also we are, salvation can be understood commercially as redemption. Okay, so what, what's redemption? It's another really big word Christians like to use. Redemption simply means Paying the ransom. Redemption means paying the ransom. Paying the price. Justification means declared not guilty. Redemption means paid the price. It, it, was, refer, it was used in reference to, to the slaves that were brought into Rome. Josephus says that there were over half a million slaves in Rome at the time that Paul wrote his letter to Rome. So over half the population of Rome were slaves. You'd bring these slaves in, you put them up on the slave market, and if you had money, you could go down and you could buy slaves off the auction block, and then you could use these slaves, you could treat them in any way that you wanted to. They became your property. You, they had no rights except the rights that you bestowed to them. This was the Roman Empire in Paul's day. So when Paul says, we're, we're saved... We're justified through grace in the Lord Jesus Christ through the redemption of sins. Look, look, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption, the price paid, the ransom. You say, what price? What, what price did God pay for my sin? 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse number 19 and 20. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? Ye are not your own, for you've been bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I was bought with a price. This idea of redemption. I was purchased. What was it? What was the price? How was I purchased? How was I redeemed? And Jesus gave his life for you and for me on the cross. And when he gave his life on the cross, he bought, he purchased, he paid the ransom. He paid the price of redemption. So Jesus redeems us. He buys us out of the slave market of sin. And he buys us to himself. He purchases us. He purchases us for himself. Why? No, you're not. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. So therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Why? Because they're God's. Because he bought them. He paid the price 
for them. Salvation can be understood legally as justification. Salvation can be understood commercially as redemption. I wish I had more time for that one, but I took all my time in the beginning. So no, let us see. Salvation can be understood relationally as propitiation. This is probably the word that we have the most difficulty with. Look at verse number 25. So we're justified by his grace, the grace of God found in Jesus. Because Jesus redeemed us, he bought us back from the slave market of sin. Whom Jesus then, Jesus is the one that God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. To propitiate. Oh, that's a big word. That's a $5 word right there. To propitiate means to turn away wrath. To turn away wrath. Why is that necessary? Because remember Romans? Romans 1, Romans 2. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness. Remember that? The, the wrath of God is revealed, it's shown, it's directed. It's aimed at who? It's aimed at all those who are just living life their own way, doing their own thing, calling their own shots, pretending as if God does not exist, even creating other gods that they themselves can go after. The wrath of God is working against them. And yet propitiation turns away wrath. So watch. God sent Jesus, verse 25. God set Jesus, sent Jesus to be a propitiation. To who? To all those who through faith have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is a personal offense to God. So the idea of propitiation has this relational component to it. It's to say this, that Christ's death on the cross not only releases us from the legal obligation of sin. Christ's death on the cross not only releases us from the moral obligation of sin. Look, Christ's death on the cross also releases us from the personal offense that our sin is to God. You can understand propitiation this way. That God, through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, God became Pro us. What's propitiation? God became pro us. God is not disgruntled with the arrangement of salvation. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. God's not a disgruntled customer, right? God didn't walk in and go, hey, I want to buy something. and I bought this. I bought it three weeks ago. and I don't like it anymore. Give me my money back because... Now they're not glorifying me as God. Now they're doing their own thing. Now they're saved, but they're going out and they're living like they weren't. And now they're ignoring me. God's not a disgruntled customer, right? God's not an old grumpy man. All the stuff I do around here, nobody gives me any thankfulness around here. I don't even know why I keep buying groceries for these kids around here. You got that image? Some of you are that image. God's not disgruntled. God's not grumpy. God, God's not, I just, I just keep doing stuff. I tell you what, that's the problem with kids these days. That's the problem with Christians nowadays. 
No, no, you can see God is grumpy. No, no, why? Because God set him to be a propitiation for us so that the wrath of God was working against us. Jesus died in our place. We put our faith in Jesus. Our faith in Jesus caused us to be legally set free, declared guilty from sin, Congressional Medal of Honor placed on our chest. We're commercially bought back. We're free. Jesus paid the price of sin. There's no debt that can ever be collected on my sin again because Jesus paid the debt of my sin and then that turned God from being wrathful toward me, being grumpy, cranky with me to turning and setting his affection on me. Do you see how propitiation is so important for your relationship with him? So this is why Paul, so this is why Paul says, go freely and boldly into the throne room of grace. That doesn't even make sense. It's a throne room. It's grace. And there's boldness. Grace and boldness don't work together. And yet we can boldly go into a throne room of grace. And God isn't sitting there going, oh, it's, oh, it's you again? Didn't I just answer a prayer for you? Haven't I done enough for you? What do you want from me this time? Don't know why. Because Jesus is our propitiation. Because Jesus causes God to be pro you. That's where one author writes and says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. That's, that's how in love he is with you. He turns his wrath from you and sets it on you. Why? Because of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That doesn't have to make you happy, but that makes me happy. That makes me real happy. Because I know how cranky some of you all are. So you want to end the chapter? Let's end it. Look at verse 27. Where is boasting then? Where, where's boasting then? If, this, if salvation given to us by God through Jesus justifies us legally, declares us guilty, declares us not guilty, if salvation given to us by Jesus redeems us, pays the price of our sins so that sin can never be exacted from us again, and if the salvation provided for us through Jesus Christ causes God who was once against us, wrath working against us because we were ungodly and sinful and now God turns and becomes pro us. If the wrath of Jesus gives us, if the death of Jesus gives us justification and redemption and, and, and propitiation, where is boasting now? Paul is saying, who gets to walk into church going, hey, 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 look at this guy right here, best Christian I know, right here. Most spiritual award goes to, drum roll me. Well, where, where is boasting now? It is, look, verse 27, no, it's excluded. 
It's excluded because how are you going to turn God's favor to you? How are you going to turn God's wrath from you? It's excluded. Why? Because how, how are you going to make God pro you? It's excluded. Why? What were you going to do with the debt of sin? The wages of sin, it's death. How are you ever going to pay that? What were you going to do with your justification? How are you going to take your unrighteous resume and walk it into the presence of God and somehow get God to rule you not guilty? It's excluded. Why is it excluded? Because it's all through faith, by grace, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's boasting? It's excluded. By what law? By works? Oh, nay, nay, but the law of faith. So therefore we conclude, verse 28, that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Verse 29, is he the God of the Jews only? Uh, he is not. That's this, this is good. This Verse 29 is a really good verse. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the, of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. He's the God of both Jew and Gentile. He's both of their gods. Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and uncircumcision through, through faith. Do we make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. No, what we say is the only way that you can stand in front of a holy, just, righteous God is for you to be holy and just. This is the bad news. You and I can't be holy. This is the good news. Jesus is holy. So put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and you find justification and you find redemption and you find propitiation so that now God is working all things for good in your life. So two ideas, the consequences of salvation. Two ideas. I, I don't have enough time, but I'm going to give them to you fast. What, is, what, is this, what does this understanding of salvation do? Gentlemen, this is a football. What does this understanding of salvation do for us? Two things. First, it takes away my pride and it gives me community. It takes away my pride and it gives me community. There is, look, there is something that makes the heart of every person in this room there is something that makes your heart boast. There is something that fills you with hope. There's something that fills you with pride. There's something that causes you to go, hey, 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 look here, look here, look, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look what I did, look how pretty I am, look how successful I, I, I was, look how educated I've, I, I, all, all these degrees I have. Look at how hard I worked. Hey, hey, look at me, I'm important. There's something in the heart of every man that causes us to swell, to boast, to make ourselves prideful. And we, and we leverage this against people. And so, so when someone is better than we are at something, we feel insignificant. And when we are better than someone else at something, we feel superior. I, I'm prettier than her. I feel pretty awesome about myself. She's prettier than me. Well, she, it's not real. It's fake. It's photoshopped. I'm more successful than him. Ha ha. You peasant people. Ha ha. Don't you wish you could rule like me? He got the promotion over me. Because he cheated his way to the top. You see how that works? 
So when we find someone who has more, is more, does more than we do, we have to find a way to pull it down, to undermine it. Why? Because we feel challenged. We feel inferior to that. And yet when someone is less than we are, what can we do? Oh, oh thank God I am not like this publican over here who came to church and's beating on his chest. Oh, sinful man he is. Oh, trust me, he's a really bad guy. You see how that works? Where is boasting? Where is boasting? It is excluded. Why? Because the way you were brought into the family of God was by faith through grace. The way you were declared not guilty was because of the righteous record of the Lord Jesus Christ, not of your own righteous record. Because the way you were set free from the price that sin was demanding from your life was because Jesus Christ paid that price with his death on the cross. And the way that God turned from being against you, wrath working against you, to being pro you, having your picture on his refrigerator was through the Lord Jesus Christ. So boasting is Excluded. That's good news. Because what that means is when you come and sit in a church like this, it's easy to look around the room and go, oh, well, they must have it all together. There's no way I feel like I could belong in a church like this. Look at all these really successful, spiritual, have it all together people. Hey, listen, I, I pastor these people. We ain't spiritual and we ain't got it all together. Yeah, boasting is excluded. It takes away our pride. It gives us community. It takes away our pride and gives us community. So now I can enter into a relationship with somebody and not feel challenged by them and not have to feel superior to them. I can actually have a meaningful relationship with somebody and not always have to be undermining it and cutting it down and, oh, what they mean by that. I know what they meant by that. I always know what they mean by that. Do you see how she looked at me? Do you see how she didn't look at me? What do you want her to do? You want her to look at you or not look at you? I don't understand. I'm so confused right now. See, we're always threatened or we're always feeling superior if what we're hanging on to is what we accomplished in ourselves. Number two, it takes away our pride, it gives us our community. Number two, it takes away my prejudice and it gives me confidence. The Jews in that day took pride in their Jewishness. The Romans in that day took pride in their Romanness. And this is the way the world works. The world puts us into categories. It's whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. It's whether you're successful or unsuccessful. It's whether you're intelligent or, or dull. It's whether you're beautiful or ugly. It's whether you're fit or you're fat. It's whether you're rich or you're poor. And so we start to put everybody in these kind of categories. This is how we view them. This is what they must be like. And yet the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ tears all of that away. Because the first become last and last become first. The economy of God doesn't work the same way that the economy of this world works. God's system doesn't work the way of the world's system. Because here's God's system. He who was rich became poor so that we who were poor might become rich. So let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not right 
Aubrey to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This is how you got into the family. So humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and humble yourself in the sight of your brothers and sisters and serve one another with love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. And then you will know what it means to be filled with the Spirit. takes away my pride, gives me community, takes away my prejudice, gives me confidence. Because in the end, you really can't take credit for your beauty or your ugliness, can you? In the end, you can't really take credit for your talents or lack of talent, can you? In, in the end, you can't really take credit for the genes that you were given and the genes that you weren't given. But it's even more than that. It's even more than that. Here, here, here's what it means. Do you realize how worthless it is to pursue earthly success and status? Because it fades away in the end. Well, what, do you, what do you really have that... You can't lose by the end of the day. It's fading away. The world, its lust, its power, its prestige, its place, how it fades away. Try to grab it, try to hold on to it. In the end, you'll lose it all. But there is a way to live your life where you pursue something of eternal worth, of eternal value. The only way to not lose your life is to lose it for the one who can keep it. And the one who can keep it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who cares if you're not intelligent as that person is? There is coming a day where God will give you the mind of Christ and you will know all that he knows. Na, 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 boo, boo. Who cares if I'm not as beautiful as him or her right now? Because there is coming a day when Jesus will make my outside match the beauty of his righteousness, which he has put on the inside. And that's really good news for guys like me. I can be ugly for 70 years because I'm going to be beautiful in eternity. doesn't matter if you are as successful as you think you should be right now. Even the weakest saint is appointed to rule and reign as kings and queens with the Lord Jesus Christ in eternity. It doesn't matter if someone appreciates everything you do right now. In Christ, the Father rejoices over you for all of eternity. So you see how that understanding allows you to face anything in this life? It allows you to go through any experience and go, yeah, but, but the sufferings of this life are this big compared to eternity that is to come. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a football now, ladies and gentlemen, this is what God did for us in salvation. That should cause our hearts to rejoice. That should cause our lips to praise. That should cause our feet to go. That should cause our hands to give. Oh, how great salvation God has accomplished 
for us.